0: Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today I am speaking with Dr. Laura Purdy. Thank you so much for joining me, Laura. Angela, thank you for having me. I am really, really excited.
1: We're going to talk about some of my favorite things in the world today, powerful Mm women. Absolutely. 100%.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to introduce you guys to Laura because you're going to absolutely love her. So Dr. Laura Purdy, also known as America's favorite doctor, is a highly respected physician, consultant, and telehealth pioneer with a decade of experience. She served as a physician in the US Army for 14 years before taking her career to the next level through medical entrepreneurship. She was on the forefront of the telehealth field, pioneering digital healthcare years before the pandemic to ensure equal access for all Americans. As a doctor, veteran, entrepreneur, and mom, Dr. Purdy is eager to challenge the old school perceptions of healthcare and rethink the experience for patients and physicians alike. I love this so much I can't even tell you.
1: Someone turns just hearing it. I know.
0: This is so exciting. (laughs) Okay, so I love people who are visionaries, and you clearly are one, right? So you're going into telehealth, and I actually did an interview about this exact subject about a year or two ago with our local business magazine called the Atlanta Business Chronicle, and they were asking what the biggest advancement is in in creating the equity in healthcare, and I said telehealth, telehealth, 100%, because- We have so many people who live in rural areas or who are single parents or who cannot just get to the doctor as easily as as others, right? And so telehealth really evens the playing field when you talk about being able to access healthcare no matter where you are.
1: You know what? You are 100% right. Whenever whenever I talk about telemedicine, access to care, Mm -hmm. access Mm -hmm. to care, this is... Mm -hmm. And listen, I would never be so brazen as to, because a lot of times people misinterpret what I say. I would never be so brazen to assert that all healthcare should be done in the virtual realm. No, of course not. Do a better job of allocating our resources and funneling care into the domain where it needs to be. And telehealth has a, I wanna say, unlimited capacity to siphon Mm -hmm. off some of these low acuity, which if I'm using, In you know proprietary terms, what I mean is um, not really bad, right? Right, bad stuff that doesn't need to really go in to be seen and
0: could be handled at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean something as simple as, hey, you know what? I have this, uh, you know. Cut on my finger, or, you know, whatever it is, where, you know, if there's nothing that has to be necessarily tested, right? Like if you don't necessarily need testing, but you could use an antibiotic or you need a a prescription refill, or, you know, it's something where you just want to discuss your symptoms with a doctor. It just seems like such a better way to go than having to drive, you know, make an appointment. It's a month out. You drive all the way there. You waste your entire day sitting in a waiting room because the doctor's flooded with patients. And and, you know, meanwhile, this all could have been done in a 15 to 30 minute phone call.
1: And, and also right. Furthermore, you're saving that real estate. It's yeah. actually effective because if there's one thing we learned a few years ago, it's mm-hmm. that our healthcare personnel are a precious yes. finite resource. And if we don't take care, like doctors, nurses, PAs, NPs, anybody who works in any area of healthcare, that's an asset. Yeah, That's absolutely. An and a resource that we need to be taking care of and stewarding that resource properly. And so by, you know, helping helping clinicians and the healthcare system manage its own workload. Yes. It's so good for the mental health. Uh-huh. It Streamlines their workload and it really helps protect that asset
0: because we've got to take care of them. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And you know, if they can do it in a way that is manageable to their patients, their patients are gonna be better at staying in touch, right? Because one of the issues with healthcare is that people aren't following up on their own care, right? So Mm -hmm. you might have somebody who's a diabetic who should be going in on a more regular basis. But for one reason or another, whether it's, you know, access to transportation or it's, uh, you know, can't take off work or whatever the situation is, they're not getting to the doctor on a regular basis. And therefore, the doctor is not able to keep up with their care. And so if you have people who are able to do a, a better job of staying consistent, they get better care ultimately, right? Yes, they do. Well,
1: here's, here's the thing. They get better care. They get more consistent care, mm. they get cheaper care because yes. it's less expensive, the virtual, route, you don't have the overhead. They get more timely care. They get more compassionate care because a lot of the physicians or, or practical you know, clinicians, whoever it is are actually happier in their hearts and in their jobs. Mm. You know, happy doctors make happy patients. Right. And so it's, it's wins all around. It really yeah. is, I, I have yet to find a viable. What, what could you say? Like when you talk about pros and cons, I have yeah, yet yeah. to, thing that's a criticism of telehealth that's bad enough to justify not doing it. I mean it's just wins all around.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. So you you spent a lot of your career in the army. So how how do you think that prepared you for going into what you're doing now? So much. Action. Yeah.
1: So much. And I hope your listeners, I'm sure you've got veterans Oh, and tons, yes, are, are listening right, but for those of you who have served, you're going to understand what I mean when I say the army is a business. It's the business of war, and sometimes it's the business of peacetime. But yeah, you know, it generally yeah. speaking, generally speaking, the military is is the business of war. And yeah. officers, which of course I was an officer, I was a, a medical officer. But the army doesn't necessarily care what your job is. Like if uh-huh. you're an, you're an executive. So all officers are executives in the business of war. Uh-huh. And you learn so much MDMP, military decision making process. Mm-hmm. Uh that applies everywhere. Yeah. That yeah. Process. I hate to say it cuz when I was learning it and when I was doing it it would just be like I would just bleed from my eyeballs practically. <laughs> it was so <laughs> stressful having to mm-hmm. do like, you know risk assessments and the decision matrices and MDMP, but I tell you what, COA analysis, course of action analysis, I use that stuff every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Day, civilian side. And the other thing, which is really interesting, is leading by influence mm. rather than leading by power.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm not in the military.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, because people will follow you because they want to. You want the people following you because they want to, not because they feel like they have to, because in the moment they don't have to, they no longer will. Right. And so by leading through influence, then you're gaining people who are following you out of choice and they'll continue to make that choice even when they don't have to. And that's what you're ultimately trying to get to.
1: Well, you win their heart. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love that we're talking about women in business. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a secret being a woman in business, but the fact that you're a woman and that you have things like femininity, which you can define that however you want to, but that's our most powerful tool. That's Mm -hmm. our most powerful resource that we have. And when you lead from the heart, Mm -hmm. have the ability to lead from the heart. We don't have to lead from our brains, although we can, um, but we can, we get to lead from our hearts and we can lead people by accessing their hearts. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Rather than brain to brain or position. Like I'm the
0: boss and you're not. So I, mm-hmm.
1: lead. I go, we get to lead with our hearts and it's a better experience for everyone.
0: Yeah. hundred percent agree. Well, and I feel like when women are leading, we're, we're looking at things in a more comprehensive way, right? Like, so when we are looking at decision making because you talk about military decision making and and i actually own a security company and a lot of our decision making is kind of based in the military mindset right so we do the same thing with assessments and threats and you know we we look at all aspects of an event and so with my security company, I think one thing that separates us is that we look at everything in a holistic way, right? Right. And so I think that's what women do really well, because we're used to taking into consideration, how does this impact my family? How does this impact my community? How does this impact my employees? How does this impact my budget, my bottom line, right? So we're not strictly like, okay, is this going to make our shareholders happy? No, it has to make everybody happy. Because if it doesn't make everybody happy, it haunts us, right? Like it haunts us and we can't sleep and like we're emotionally tied to the results of the these things and if our people are really unhappy we feel that right so I think there's just some validity in in having a woman in charge of whatever decision making because you're getting a more holistic view of what that decision is gonna ultimately result in
1: I couldn't agree with you more and it's and, and here's the thing it, management leadership and business it's not for everyone. Yeah, there, remember, absolutely. I, I doubt I'm listening to this, but I know because your audience is probably all like, "Yeah, business." Yeah, but, but it's it's not for everyone. It is mm-hmm. hard. It is hard. Yeah. I definitely laid awake at night, empathizing over you know having to fire somebody or yeah. you know, doing thing not because you know they were awful, but because it was a business decision that we had mm-hmm. to make. But but what I but what I think is as a, as a woman leader, executive business owner, fill in the blank. If you do the work to learn how to leverage the compassion, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 periods, like, like I know, I don't think clearly 48 hours before my period. Like I just right. don't. 100%. Right. Yeah. And I have no problem being like, okay, people. Yeah. <laughs> help, help me be rational. Cause uh-huh. I know. Disconnected and I'm going crazy, but I'll be back in two days. Okay? <laughs> right into it, mm-hmm. and 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 operating from that place. If we can, if we can learn how to work with these things rather than be ashamed of them or try to change them or you know masculinize it or feel like we, mm-hmm. to, then I mean, there's just so much power there.
0: Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So when you're going through and you're starting your business, right? So you, you kind of became a medical entrepreneur, which is not an easy thing to do, right? So it's one thing to go practice medicine. It's another thing to go be in the business of war. Like you said, like, you know, go into the military and serve in the military. So you're serving our country. And then, you know, you get, you have this amazing education in, as a physician, and then you have to then learn a whole other skill set, which is running a business, right? Because there are amazing doctors out there, not amazing business owners, right? <laughs> it's not the same thing. And mm. Nobody teaches you. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: where do you learn how to be a business owner? Not as a doctor.
0: Nope. Nope. They don't teach you that in medical school, medical school, right?
1: <laughs> Even though so many of them do go private.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they own clinics and they own practices, they work at surgery centers or whatever. I mean, a lot of physicians do end up in positions of leadership and they're in over their heads because nobody's ever told them what to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so then you have a hospital who then gets run by people who don't have medical training and the people who do understand patient care are not running the hospitals and there's a huge disconnect, right? And so like, this is what drives me crazy about our our healthcare system. And so that's why I kind of love what you're doing because you really are doing all of it, right? Like you're all, you're all over the place in terms of like you've got the business stuff down you've got the you know serving your country you've got the medical training and so now you can pull it all together for people and really kind of help streamline that process and say okay this is where the disconnect is I think this is where we can really make it make a huge impact and I think that's where you know when you were saying you're a pioneer in telehealth that's where that comes from right it's a great business decision why did it take so long (laughs) right and honestly, to,
1: to someone who has the gift of business or who has worked on developing the gift of business, mm. I look at the whole world now mm. from a business perspective. I had a conversation about loading the dishwasher yes. yesterday. And what I said was, I'm not going to micromanage the dishes. I could care less how they get in there or what they look like in there. As long as they get done, I will not micromanage that. Right, right. It's all, great. It's all about business, right? And I and I look at things so much more differently now than I did before I was in business but one mm-hmm. of the things that I feel like now is a great time to say is that it can be very scary
0: yeah for sure
1: it is very scary i mean i i am an entrepreneur myself i start businesses i don't want to say every day but it's like most days of the week either yeah. i'm a business or i'm working with somebody who is starting a business because a lot of healthcare people do have it in their heart mm-hmm. to go be entrepreneurs fear it's so scary putting mm-hmm. yourself out there and putting your heart into that and not knowing where it's going to go it's terrifying mm-hmm. did you have that experience when you you know oh, were you were you just scared
0: when you're terrified. Yeah. Because, you know, for, first of all, you think to yourself, well, do I even belong here? Right. Like, do I deserve to be here? Am I just going to mess it all up? Right. Like that's my fear is if I start hiring people now I'm accountable, right? Like now their livelihood is in my hands. Like that's a huge responsibility. Right. And so you don't want to mess that up. So anyway, so that becomes a, uh, uh, that becomes a really big factor too. Um, hold on one second. I apologize. My my cell phone is going crazy. Hold on. No, of course. I'm going to hold on.
1: Turn on, do not disturb. I love it. Turn
0: on, do not disturb. You can cut it. Do you edit your, you edit? Yeah. So I, uh, golly. Okay. Ready? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, so so yes, it's absolutely terrifying being a entrepreneur and not knowing if people are going to trust you enough to follow you. You have to get people's buy-in, right? Like not just customers, but you also have employees, you have shareholders, you have other people, you have to get their buy-in, right? Like you have to prove to them that not only do you know your stuff, but you're also not going to run this business into the ground, right?
1: (laughs) And so- You regret it, like even for five seconds, you probably don't regret it with a cell in your
0: body. No, not at all. Not at all. Even all the sleepless nights, even all the crazy chaos you deal with. I still like, I'm still, I don't want to do anything else. No, so.
1: no, wouldn't change it for the world. And that's, Mm-mm. I work with, you know, entrepreneurs all the time. And that's what I tell them. You have nothing to lose except mm-hmm. dream if you don't follow it. Mm-hmm. So chase that dream. And who cares? Like, don't we as healthcare people, we will always have a job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll hire us back and overwork us and underpay us any day. Don't you <laughs> worry. job is still going to be there. Right, right. So, so I'm speaking to healthcare specifically because that's the industry that I'm in. But mm-hmm. that applies, applies to all industries. If, if you want to be a business owner and you're not, do it. Get out mm-hmm. there.
0: Yeah. Accept yeah. your dream. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm a, I'm a big fan of of entrepreneurs and and at least trying it, right? Like you don't know, and you have to really give it a, a a really good try. Like, don't get out there, fail one time, because every entrepreneur fails, every single one. We will fail. It's about getting back up. It's about, you know, pushing through that pain. It's gonna be painful. There's gonna be times where you're like, Yeah, it sure would be nice to have regular medical insurance and a paycheck. But at the same time, <laughs> you've just gotta You got to let it you got to let it hurt a little bit because uh, that means a lot more when you when you finally do reach success. So hard work. It's hard Mm. work. Mm -hmm. 100%. So um, so you're talking about access to quality health care. I want to circle back to this telehealth thing and and the quality health care, because that is one thing that I am just. It's so frustrating in our country because I feel like there's just such, you know, you might have terrible health insurance, you might have great health insurance. And and it's a reason why people are afraid to go be entrepreneurs. Right. Like if I if I go work for myself, then I have this really high deductible and I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay for healthcare. And so how do we how do we even the playing field? Well, I will tell you. The area that I don't know
1: that we fully have the solution to yet is exactly what you're talking about, yeah. health. Because for the longest time, 10 years, yeah. health insurance, I'm sorry, telemedicine has been cash pay yeah. because there was no reimbursement. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell it to you straight, working at my first job, I had 20,000 telehealth visits that I did. This was my very first job years and years and years wow. ago. Wow. All phone call, all video, 100% cash pay. Wow. But, but those patients were so grateful. And this was very pre-COVID. They mm-hmm. were so grateful that they were even just getting any health care. They were willing to pay, you know, the 60 or $70 to have a visit. But now after the pandemic and all of that, the insurance companies are saying there's a lot of health care being done virtually. Yeah our people are using it and we need to start reimbursing. Yeah. And so, so we're at this transition point. And I really think if you talk to me 18 to 24 months from now, it's going to look even different than it does right now. But right now today, you can do a lot. If mm-hmm. you're someone who has a lot of chronic medical conditions and you're very sick, then you probably need to look at health insurance and things like that. Cause those costs really increased. But if you're young, if you're relative, you know, how do you define young? If you're young mm-hmm. at heart and are many of us really young, you know, if you're young yeah. at heart and you're relatively healthy and you don't have a lot of medical conditions, then rather than paying for a health insurance policy that you're really not utilizing much aside from like, you know, crisis care or trauma mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, hospital stuff, the outpatient, the low acuity stuff that you would handle in an office, a lot of that you can do through telehealth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, and I think that that also provides people with, um, a little bit better access to great healthcare, right? Because you might be not be able to get to this really amazing doctor in Nashville, you know, when you live in Atlanta, but at the same time, um, who are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, you know Mental health, mental, mm. mental health is an area where this
1: has been phenomenal. Yeah. Number of people that need mental health care and the number of people who can actually get it or the amount of therapists or psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever that are available. I mean, there's a huge mismatch, like supply demand mismatch. Okay. Mm. We'll use the business terms today. Okay. And telehealth, because you don't need a physical exam. There's no testing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to labs. Usually you're not listening to the heart and lungs usually yeah. to just therapy. And so you could be in Atlanta and you could
0: have the best therapist in the world in, Colorado or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you don't even think about it like that. But yeah, mental health is one of those things where I feel like there's just an increased need, um, especially as we're starting to really identify the need for for mental health. You know, before, I mean, when we were kids, it was just kind of one of those like, oh, she's just grumpy a lot, you know? Well, no, she's depressed. <laughs> right? Like she's depressed yeah. or, you know, oh, he he's he has a few too many cocktails every night okay well there's probably also an underlying alcoholism there right and so there's just so much that we're identifying now that we just kind of like people would brush off when when we were younger and now it's like oh wait there's a real problem here somebody is struggling with something right and and especially all of our veterans our veterans i think are a classic example of why we need more you know great mental health Uh, availability because they're really struggling with, you know, PTSD or traumatic uh, brain injuries and and things like that, where if we can just get them the resources that they need, we could, we could save so many lives. You're right. And it's, as I'm thinking,
1: as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about stigma.
0: Mm. There's a
1: lot of stigma with mental health, even though access to care is, is a problem, physical access to care, but like mental and emotional access to that care because of the stigma, the fear, maybe shame, maybe guilt, or maybe you're so depressed. You can't leave, you physically cannot bring yourself to leave your house mm-hmm. or really any, any sort of stigmatized condition, whether that's like sexual health, mental health, veteran care, ugh, I, the telehealth has provided a safe space for yeah all of this like ed care you know hair loss things that people might feel they might feel embarrassed it's not they're not embarrassing they're it's just life these are medical conditions that are so common but people might feel embarrassed or uncomfortable and and they have a safe space online mm-hmm. health I mean it's just it's beautiful, really. Yeah,
0: it really is. It really is. So, wh- how do we get to better patient-focused care? What would you what are your suggestions with that because you know, again, I feel like when you, when we're talking about the military being a business, healthcare is also a business, right? And so, how do we deliver that patient-focused healthcare while also, you know, not bankrupting our hospitals, right? Because we need them. We need them to be profitable because if they're not, they're no longer businesses and they're not, you know, they're, they're going to go do something else that makes them a lot of money. So how can we, you know, make everybody happy? Because everybody complains about how much money hospitals make and, and insurance companies and so forth. But also keep in mind that if it wasn't a business the quality of care may not be as high and there may not be as much emphasis on, you know, making sure you have nice facilities and meeting certain uh, parameters. So there's, there's definitely something to be said for that. So how do we find, how do we find that happy medium between patient centered care and, you know, still allowing hospitals to operate effectively.
1: And, and not close. Right. Right. Well, I, I think you're, this is like a kind of a softball answer, right? Telehealth really can stand to be a solution here because this is what we know. Uh We know that the more uh, things like traumas, surgeries, childbirths, emergencies, Mm -hmm. those things are expensive and they do come with big bills and we want them to. I mean, we're showing up. in an emergency with whatever the emergency is, and we're getting our lives saved, mm-hmm. that should be expensive, right? Or right. you're having a baby and there's 27 people in the room and all those people had to be paid for their time and expertise, right? In the right. So the hospital, there are expensive things that happen in the hospital, but what's really interesting is that every specialty, every specialty that I know of Has low acuity things that come into their clinic or their office Mm -hmm. that do not generate a lot of revenue, but they take up a lot of time. Mm, Okay. Right? Follow up, like, um, for example, like follow up visits or medication refill visits when you're not also getting annual labs and stuff. I feel like if you've recently had a physical or any sort of even like certain types of pre op exams that don't necessarily involve a physical or follow-ups of lab work, follow-ups of radiology, a lot of follow-ups, You, it takes up time in the doctor's office, but there's not a lot of reimbursement that they get because they're not really mm. doing things. So I really feel like by finding a way to leverage telehealth, whether the hospital is doing it themselves or whether they're doing like a third-party vendor who's just contracted to see those visits to help with the workload,
0: yeah. it's really
1: resource allocation leaving the expensive stuff at the expensive place for the expensive doctors and the expensive bills, mm-hmm. and then allowing some of those things that really don't make a lot of money for the hospital, but waste. I, when I say waste, I don't mean like we're wasting the doctor's time. That's sure. Not what sure. I, but it's not the best use of someone like a surgeon, like mm-hmm. an OBGYN, like a dermatologist, people that do surgeries for a living. It's not the best use of their time to be sitting in clinic across from somebody. You yeah. Know?
0: Yeah, for sure. So,
1: finding a way to funnel that out so that the the less expensive care is done in the less expensive space, i.e. telehealth virtual care, and then saving the big bills for the hospital. Um, I think this is just my opinion. Sure, is, I, sure. don't, I don't know. We've never seen it happen before, but this is my opinion that, that doing something like that would be more cost-effective for mm-hmm.
0: the hospital. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, and so as you're growing into your, your entrepreneurial space, how do you feel you, you impact other medical entrepreneurs best? Like how, what is, what is the process that you use when you're helping other medical entrepreneurs?
1: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Well, the the first thing that I do, cause when we talk about leading from our heart, yeah. right? Being mm-hmm. intuitive, being inspirational. And it's because really at the end of the day, it's, it's all about love to me. It really is. Like mm-hmm. love for people, love for clients, love for bosses, love for like the people who work under me, you know, my employees or whatever. It's just, it's all about putting love into the world. Mm-hmm. I just so happen to be doing it in the area of business healthcare. So what I do is I say to them, your whole business is built on your mission, right? Your mission, your values, your ethics start there. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't know why you're doing it and who you're doing it for and what the point of all of it is, I mean, if the point is just to go make money, yeah, this is not for you. That's not, this is not, this is, you know, for most of us, it's not a big, you know, big money-making thing, but start, start with your heart and your intention behind it. Mm -hmm. Then figure out how and figure out who you're solving a problem for, what problem you're solving for them and then why you're solving it. Because that's your, um, that's your offering.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah.
1: You yeah. have to offer. And then third, I always say, look, look at your vision of your life in three to five years. And okay. where, what are you doing? Are you doing this business? Are you doing something else? Are you advancing in your day job? And if, if that vision involves anything else, aside from your business being mm-hmm. grown successful and you still doing that, then Think about whether you're really ready to do this or not.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I feel like when when we're hiring, one of the things that I like to ask is, how what does success look like for you, right? Like does success look like, you know, you have started this business, you now have 10 employees and you're growing it, or does success look like growth in other states? Does success look like I have more freedom? You know, and that helps you set up exactly what you're trying to do because if if you want more flexibility and more freedom, then you may want to keep your practice fairly small, right? Like you may want to really understand um that you're gonna take a little less money home, but also have a great support staff so that you're you know. So that you have a little bit more flexibility. So really, what is their ultimate, what does success look like? Because for everybody, it's different, right?
1: It's not one size fits all. I've actually heard like consulting companies and like businesses that and not knocking it there, there, there is a space and a place for everyone and everything in this Mm. entire industry. So what I'm about to say is not a thing on anybody's methodology, but for me, I don't perceive it as a cookie cutter. It's not a formula. It's not an equation. I don't. I don't practice from the standpoint of if you follow these five steps, then you will be great at your right. thing. It's mm-hmm. more intuitive and designed to meet the needs of the entrepreneur so that they can go meet the needs of whatever client base they're trying to serve. Yeah, And it's, it's pretty impactful if you can connect people to the heart behind their mission
0: yeah yeah absolutely and you know like you said it's not cookie cutter right so not not every entrepreneur wants you know to be a multi-million dollar company some just want that ability to be able to go to their kids school in the middle of the day if they want to and have lunch right and so there's so many different reasons for wanting to be an entrepreneur and it's really about digging into exactly what that means for them and in in the medical space i imagine it's very similar it it really is. Sorry that my son, I think
1: your son left you and then yeah. me and I'm just like <laughs> blinded by the hot Louisiana
0: sun today. I know. We're we're kind of managing through this video part with uh like where's the sun shining and how can I get away from it? <laughs> Sun is shining on the entrepreneurs today. I know. Literally, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was your question again? I
1: got so distracted from the sun.
0: Oh but- no, that's that's been me too this entire time. So okay, so what what challenges and obstacles did you have when you were starting your business? Well, I so oh, that's a that is
1: a, a a beautiful question. There have been a lot of challenges, and I think for me you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And thankfully I was on the other side of the fence. I worked with a lot of startups before I made one or two or three or five of my own. Yeah. So, so I kind of got to, to watch it a little bit, but overpaying. Yeah. <laughs> great. I'm going to air all my dirty laundry right Go now. For it. <laughs> I'm way too nice. I am mm. way too nice. Mm. And I get told this all the time. But what I say is, well, I just I feel like I'm uh like I'm gracious, you know? Right, 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 right. (laughs) Give people attitude, I think best in everybody. And I have gotten so burned. I've gotten Mm -hmm. like third degree burned, yeah, metaphorically by being too nice, right? So so um overpaying. I, I have because I want people to um succeed and I want people to do well and I want them to. Feel happy about what they get to bring home, but you right. can't do that at the. You know you can't sacrifice the business revenue for that. So overpaying is one. Honestly, being a little too trusting because I have a, a um just the very atypically just like disgustingly don't be like me high level of like can't shut it off work ethic. <laughs> And I, and I tell people all the time, like, don't be like me. I don't want you to never take a day off. I don't want you. I don't, I don't want that for you. Yes. That, that is what I do, but like, please do better, you know, have better boundaries. But in doing that, originally I kind of went into things, assuming that everyone had the same work ethic as me. And I should have, I I think I gave more freedoms than I should have mm-hmm. and had all the things I was taking advantage of. I've had, employees steal from me financially you know lying, not showing up for work um a lot a lot of that happened unfortunately and then i think the third thing is it took me a while to learn the concept of the art i'll say the art of growing and scaling because growing growing a business that is growing you have to look like 15 steps ahead you have to think about next year and the year after that and then mentally plan out how do i get from here to there because this is what the growth rate is yeah without and, and it's it's tricky because yeah. you can you can get ahead of it or you can get behind it eventually you do catch up to it and it is is the growth phase like your your service level suffers a little bit your employees mm-hmm. are stressed a little bit and then you over hire but then your revenue takes a hit and like growing and scaling like it's just an art and so i still feel like i fumble yeah growth and scale
0: but yeah i'm getting more savvy at it it's it's a tough one because you know if you haven't done it if you haven't scaled a business and and scaling is different right like one one business may be scaling when it comes to the number of employees and another may be scaling in in the number of users, right? And then some may be scaling in revenue, right? Like I need to raise money. And so for for us, scale is different, right? scaling up the book scaling up is one of the best books i've ever read but it was literally like it felt like i was drinking from a fire hose i'm like oh my god like i'm trying i always (laughs) listen to audibles when i'm at the gym and people must have thought it was so annoying because like man that woman's just texting the whole time and really literally i'm taking notes on my phone like every time i finish a set on the weights and i'm like hurry up take notes on these (laughs) Texting it from the free weight area Yes. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, like I I need to remember all this stuff, but it's a great book, but that's one that actually really did help me, but it's tough. You know, when you're scaling, you have to have that structure. The structure is so important or else you're just kind of throwing, throwing things into the wind and hoping that they fly.
1: Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Systems, processes, analytics. You have to take the you have to quantify and turn yeah. what you're doing into data as yep. you're scaling because otherwise, you I mean, you, how do you know what to do? Like, oh, I think I feel like making change today. Yeah. <laughs> or let me look at these numbers and
0: you know, calculatedly determine what change I need to make today. Right. Or your employees look at you like you're crazy because you've just come up with the next crazy idea that you're going to throw at them and expect them to execute on it. And they're like, but we're only 10% into the last crazy idea that you had. Now you have a whole other one. Like, like having that structure and getting that vision laid out and then deciding, okay, this is the process that we're going to do. And that's how you scale, right? Like you scale through foundation. I always say that you can't launch a rocket off of sand. You need, you know solid concrete so you need you need a solid foundation if you want to launch and you can't do that if you haven't really properly secured your your business so that's beautiful i'm gonna use that i
1: yeah. are you the crazy <laughs> idea boss is that is that from is that from experience
0: yes exactly yeah a hundred percent it's always it's it's so funny because I can see the eye rolls from across the room when I'm like okay so here's the idea and they're like oh here we go mm-hmm. <laughs> All right? like, I'm like, okay, I, I probably, uh I probably threw this on you too quickly after the last crazy idea, but we're going to roll with it. And then, and then like you, I'm too nice. And so I'll take on 90% of it. Right. And so I'm the one with the sleepless nights. I'm the one not going to, you know, have a social life. I'm I'm going to carry this all because this was my crazy idea. And so if it crashes and burns, it's going to crash and burn on me.
1: So we yes. have
0: to master the art of delegation. Oh, right. So we hard. Have to- because mm-hmm. if you don't
1: delegate, then you definitely can't scale. But also, if you can't delegate or if you don't delegate, you're disempowering your employees. Mm-hmm. That's it's so harmful. true. It's harmful to not delegate because then that's sending a message that I don't trust you to do your job. I don't think you can do your job. I don't. I know I hired you and I'm paying you to do it, but like I really don't think you can do it.
0: Right, right, right. I think I'm better at this than you are, and so I'm just going to do it myself. Too. But <laughs> honestly, you should be better at it. Yeah. <laughs> You're the boss. Right. And you
1: should have mastery of all the things, but you need all the people doing all the things in order to
0: scale the business. Yeah. Well, and there was a brilliant woman that I had spoken to a while ago on my, on my podcast. And, and she said, so do you think, do you know what I think is wrong with your business? And I said, well, what is that? And she's like, after talking to you for 30 minutes, I think you're the bottleneck. And I was like, ouch, that hurt a little bit. I mean, it's it's damn true, but I, it's still (laughs) painful to hear. We can get in our own way. I have
1: a hundred percent, yeah. hundred thousand percent. I have gotten in my own way yeah. and it's well intended. It's not oh, yeah. like you wake up morning in the morning and say, you know what? I think I'll slow down my own operations today by getting, there <laughs> trying to do it all myself. Yes. Or because we have compassion, empathy for the people who are getting run into the ground. We mm. want it to work. We need it to work. Our heart is in it. And we might bleed for them a little bit, you know, like, um, having compassion for the people who are working so hard, but yeah. yeah. So what did you do? Did you unbottleneck yourself?
0: Yeah, I had a little come to Jesus moment with myself and I was like, okay, so I love to do sales, but it it's the biggest time suck, right? And so it's like I everything I thought I was good at or I enjoyed, I thought to myself, okay, what is it that takes the most time, right? Because what do I enjoy the most? I'm the best at, but takes the least time. That's what I should be doing, right? And there's also, there's a new book that I just downloaded and I have not listened to yet called The CEO Should Only Do Three Things. And so I am going to dive into right. that pretty soon. You know but, what they are. <laughs> um, I kind of high level view. It's basically like you should be working on the mission and vision, right? Like that should be your priority. And if it doesn't have anything to do with the mission and vision, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, you should be focusing on finances and growth. Like how do I keep keep money in the bank? That should be number two. And then number three is uh, how do I create the a supportive system for my staff right? So that they can do what they do, right? So they can thrive and do their jobs effectively. So how do I create an effective organization? How do I, you know, make sure the mission and vision are being followed and how do I keep money in the bank? So that's just kind of like the general version. I love that culture and money. I mean, both very important to successful businesses. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so that's where I, I, I'm starting to retrain my brain because I'm, I went from being in small business mode, which as you know, is a very different mode than scaling, right? So small business mode is I can do it all myself. How do I do this very cheaply? How do I bootstrap it? How do I? Yeah, I've got to I've got to hurry up and run the business and then sweep the floors and then, you know, do the invoices and then do this. And the, yeah, that's small business mentality, right? And if you want to be a big business, you got to get rid of your small business mentality. It's hard. Is hard, and mm-hmm. occasionally I have to
1: get back into it. Sometimes,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. <they> <laughs> you yeah, <know>?
1: everyone. <laughs>
0: yes, all your calls out
1: or something. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so tell me, uh, what would you? What advice would you give to your eighteen-year-old self? Oh, okay,
1: eighteen-year-old self. Uh-huh. 18-year-old to me was still a musician and hadn't decided to go be a doctor yet. Okay, so I think I would say. I would say, you don't want to be a musician. You want to be a doctor, but I would say, talk to your dad more Uh because he's, he's gone. Like my dad's been gone for 15 years and, but he's my biggest inspiration. Oh yeah. Everything about this that's business related is completely like directly extracted from him and like put into my, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm like a carbon copy of him. Um, Anyways, I would say talk to your dad as often as you can. Ask all the questions. Mm. Go to work with him, which I did a couple times. Actually, went to work with him, but watch. But it's kind of funny. It's actually really funny because when I think about going to work with my dad, he would send me to go be with other people. Oh, okay. And not, you know, like go see HR, go see sales, go see whatever. And I should have been like, I think Why? I want to be with you. Yeah. You know, like, I want to <laughs> see what the executives are doing. Right? I don't. I'm right, So I think that's what I want to tell 18 year old me is spend more time with my dad and pay closer attention to what he's doing.
0: Oh, very cool. I love that. So when I ask who inspires you most, would you say your dad? hundred percent. Every single day, every single day. Yes that's very cool. So, okay. So as you're going into this healthcare space and you're trying to influence and, and help other physicians develop their own medical practices and, and develop their own business mindset in healthcare, what do you say is the biggest disconnect between, um, between the healthcare system and the business mindset? Oh, goodness. I, The problem,
1: as I see it,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is that the institutions are so large that they have all of the power. Mm -hmm. And when I say the institutions, I actually mean, yes, the hospitals, the hospital systems, the PBMs, like the benefits managers, even like insurance companies, as a physician trying to be a small business owner, especially if you want to start your own clinic or practice or whatever, the external forces... Can be stifling. Mm,
0: yeah, There's that makes so no much sense room
1: for innovation. Zero. There's zero room for innovation. Yeah. Being a physician who decides to go open up a clinic is, for the most part, unless you're a dermatologist or plastic surgeon, something really sexy. But yeah, for yeah. us, like family medicine, primary care doctors down here, um, you're signing up for a life of suffering. You really yeah. are. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's not exciting. It's not innovative. It's not groundbreaking all the things we love about starting businesses. It's not like that. And so I think that's the disconnect. I think that the institutions are so stifling to the individual physicians who want to go out there and make a difference that we've got to find a way to loosen up
0: the overlording. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. No. And so, you know, I have... I totally understand what you're saying. So I, my, uh, when I was married previously, my ex-husband was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, you know, of course we're, we're, you know, late twenties, early thirties, there's no cancer in our family, you know, like it was, it was traumatic. And so we did what the hospital protocol was, you know, you're going to do this for six months. This is what's going to happen. You're going to come in every Tuesday, Thursday, you're going to get this much chemotherapy. And it was very regimented. And at the end of it, it didn't work. None of it. it didn't work. It was fractionally successful, but not enough to save his life. And so we're like, well, what next? What do we do? And they're like, Well, we don't we don't have a protocol for that. And like, what do you mean? You're doctors, right? <laughs> like, you're the doctor. Figure this part out. Like, this is where we rely on you. And so literally, like the big hospital system was so incredibly like entrenched in this is the protocol. This is the only protocol. There's no plan B, sorry, good luck. Right. And we're like, that's a really shitty uh, uh, solution to this. (laughs) And so we ended up, you know, what we discovered through this and, you know, again, take your care into your hands sometimes because it really is important that we understand what this, what what our care should be. Um, as individuals. So once we took the care into our own hands, we started doing a little bit of research, we figured out that teaching hospitals, teaching hospitals have flexibility, right? Because they're, they're the centers of innovation. They're the ones who are allowed to discover things, right? And so it's like, they're given just a little bit more freedom to say, hey, we're going to experiment with you a little bit. And you know what, it worked, it worked, he's been cancer-free, but, but that's what we had to do. But you know, you, you, it's not common knowledge. And so those are the frustrating, you know, things for, for us in society who are like, how do we fix this? What's plan B? Well, plan B, plan B is not in our uh, documents here. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. We're not entitled well, to
1: plan B, right? But I love that you advocated for yourself yeah. and for your husband at the time, you, you were able through advocacy and not settling. Yes settling for that status quo, which is what I say all the time. We cannot settle for the status quo. We cannot. The status quo is hurtful. People yes. are suffering because of the way we do things right now. So let's do things differently.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Ah. I don't know who <laughs> I'm talking everybody,
0: I'm talking to everybody with that. We're talking to you. All right. You are, if you're hearing it. This is for you. So as women, we give our power away all the time, you know, it just, it's it's something that by nature we're taught to do, right? We're taught to be second and to be selfless. So tell me about a time that you gave your power away and another time that you stepped back into your power and what the, the difference was for you.
1: Mm, well, there's always going to be varying definitions, right? Right. What is our power? And mm. so I'll tell you um, an instance that I'm thinking of. Okay. Several years ago, and I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna use names, doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter who this is. If you end up hearing this and you know you're a part of this institution, like nothing but love. Okay. I right. have nothing but love. Every story happens for a reason. I feel like there's growth, there's learning, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I really mm-hmm. wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But once upon a time, very early in my journey as an entrepreneur, before I had an MBA, before I had ever been involved in startups you know, this is like early, early green, green, green years. Yeah. A position at a company working at a founder level, like on a founder level, which is kind of big, like startup founder. It's huge. Yeah. But I, but what I didn't do and what I didn't know that I should do at the time was to ask for equity. Mm. I just didn't even know, had never heard the word before. And so I dove in like Mm. all I jumped all the way in and hustled, actually worked for free for the better part of a year, did not even $1, didn't even. I just said, I'm here. I believe in the mission. I want to work. And eventually there was a liquidity event, uh, which is like an acquisition sort of thing. Liquidity event, I'm sure everybody knows what that means, but something happens that allows there to be more cash flow. And usually people who have equity get some return on their investment. And I had no equity Mm. at all, none. So I got nothing, I got (sighs) nothing in the liquidity event. And, but also it was, it was hurtful. It was actually, it was hurtful to me and it made me so sad and heartbroken because I felt like I didn't, it's not even what I felt like. This is the reality. The reality of the thing was if I had not been where I was at the time where I was doing what I was, the company would have failed. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of my skill set, my assets, my medical licenses, all of it, I saved the company. Right. And so I felt very disempowered. I felt um, very uh, used. I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. Yeah. But whose fault is it? It's my fault. Right. I didn't ask for equity. Whose fault is it? Right. Mm-hmm. It is my responsibility to make sure that I am fairly compensated in the position where I'm at for the thing that I'm doing. And so right. now, when it's appropriate, I make sure that I'm compensated appropriately, whether that's equity or whether it's cash. Yeah. And so, what I did, I kind of gave my power away there because I volunteered, I poured my heart out, and I didn't take any steps to make sure that I would be valued and taken care of in the way that yeah. it should have been.
0: Yeah. Well, karma. That's all I have to say about that karma. Um, so you will continue to rise, you will continue to do great things, and you know, eventually they will realize that um doing that led to, you know, not such great part. things.
1: That's okay. Honestly, the relationships are are great. Like still do business, still be associates, still you know, spend time together and would would consider friends. You know what I yeah. mean? There's there's no there's no harm, but I did learn. And to answer your second question, you know when when did you step into your power uh-huh i had to make and again not 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 going to use um not going to use names but it doesn't matter yeah. but there was an instance in my life so knowing who you are what you stand for and being willing to do anything to make sure that you i me are being consistent with mm-hmm. our own message to me that is vitally important i need to be the same always yeah so I, I was sleep at night because yeah. I'm a woman with a lot of empathy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there, you know, there was an instance. There had, there was an instance. Um, once upon a time, where I found myself in a business situation that um, could stand and make a lot of money, but ethically the values were not aligned, yeah. and I had to choose, and I was being taken advantage of. My name, my title, my reputation, and my street cred, which I have worked so hard. I have worked mm-hmm. so hard to build that, was at risk. And I had to decide, do I want a lot of money or mm-hmm. do I want to preserve my good name? And like, st- what can I say? Stick to my ethics and be in alignment with with who I am and what I believe. And yeah. so I actually chose to, I chose the second, thankfully. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: and yeah. I chose to um, move in a different direction solely based off of ethics and principle, and that was actually very empowering because a lot of people have asked me about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's empowering to say that was me. That you know that was my decision for these reasons, and it's because of who I am. And it it, it feels good to be able to say that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's, it feels good to choose you, right? So when you choose you and what you stand for and what you believe in, that is the most empowering thing you can do, right? If you can walk away from a situation and say, you know what, I'm going to choose me in this scenario because at the end of the day, I need to look myself in the mirror and know that I did the right thing.
1: And for me, honestly, I, I'm at the phase of my life now where I have four kids, you know, my, my dad imparted a lot of wisdom onto me, even though I wish it was more, I would talk to him every day if I could. And then yeah. he moved on to his next thing. Right. Which was, you know, well, he moved along to the whatever happens after we're after like, and life.
0: Happens yeah. After.
1: <laughs> and um, but it's important to me because these are the lessons I will pass down to my kids. Yeah. Who I'm living becomes what I pass on. And it, it becomes hopefully maybe who they become and like what they embody and i want them to choose themselves i want them to be true to what they believe whatever it is even if it's yeah. different than what I, believe. I want them to be true to that and be boldly brazenly unashamedly unapologetically um in line with and true to whatever that is so yeah. i feel like i have to because i'm passing that down you know
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're always watching, right? I always say that my son is always watching. So every business decision I make, I have to live with that at the end of the day. Like, would I be okay if my son chose this in business? And so it's really important to me that I'm imparting those those same values and I'm holding strong to them. So I applaud you for that. Good for you. Good for you. So, okay. One last question. I've really enjoyed this, but, um, so I have enjoyed talking with you and I think that you have so much great wisdom that you can pass on to so many amazing people out there. So what, what do you wish more people knew? Ugh.
1: Everything. I, would yeah. wish, I wish more people knew everything. I, this is what I will say. I wish more people knew that the secret is exactly what I've already said. And I I feel like this is becoming my primary platform because if you can't tell, I'm like 75% advocate, let's be honest. Yeah, that's Um, awesome. I'm I'm such a little, you know, advocacy person, (laughs) but people need to know that love is powerful.
0: Mm -hmm. You, when you
1: approach people from, with, from the place of love with love and you think about them and you consider them how's how's what I'm about to say gonna feel can I have compassion for them as a human while I'm doing this whatever it is life becomes so much more beautiful so much more meaningful powerful um there is more good that that comes your way and yeah we can run around screaming and hollering and demanding and oppressing and forcing people to do what we want them to do. Yeah. But if more people would just operate from a place of love, this world would be an entirely different place. Oh, my life would yeah. an entirely different place because I've started to live that way and everything about my life has changed because the way I approach the world is different.
0: Yeah, amen. Because I think that way too. Like we, we approach things way too many times w- with, you know, judgment and, you know, I don't think that's the right way to do it. And, you know, I wouldn't do it that way. But if you can approach it with love and you don't know what, you know, anyone's going through and you don't know what's going on in their lives. And, you know, how can I, how can I show compassion to this person? And that's why you are in medicine, because that's a great, a great thing to know. right? And so I think, you know, I love that you're in medicine and you come, you know, you approach everything with, with an open heart, because I think ultimately that makes you a better business person too. I'm trying. Yes. <laughs> well, you're rocking it out. So great job. <laughs> Hard work but it is good work and it is yeah, worth it. It is worth it. It is hundred percent worth it. So, well, thank you, Dr. Doctor Laura Purdy. Uh, you have been amazing. And I've just so enjoyed our conversation. And I know our audience is, is you know, very appreciative of all the great advice that you've had um, to give us. So you guys can check out Dr. Laura Purdy on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. And how else can they find you?
1: Oh, you can find me in a few places. Um, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at America's Favorite Doctor. It's all uh-huh. spelled out. Okay. Or I have a website, drlarapurdy.com. And those are the main, I mean, there's definitely like a TikTok and I think there's maybe a Twitter and a Facebook, but those are Very the full. Cool. You can find me on LinkedIn too, but this is what I will say. I don't check the messages super <laughs> often. So yeah. if you go through the website and send an email there, I will get that faster than LinkedIn
0: is just, yeah, junk mail is ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Everybody wants to sell you something. So, (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I am so happy that we had a chance to talk today. So um, have an amazing day. And I'm wishing all of our audience the most amazing, amazing day. And please do check us out on future episodes at prettypowerfulpodcast.com. So thank you, Laura, and enjoy your afternoon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast, and we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time, and until then, step into your own power.